today's global gaming marketplace, your players want to pay how they want, when they want, and where they want. Accepting localized forms of payments and keeping up with what's trending is key to growing your gaming business and to finding new untapped markets. That's where Exola Payments comes in. With just one simple integration, you'll be connected to over 700 localized preferred payment methods on a global scale, including bank cards, digital wallets, mobile payments, cash kiosks, gift cards, special offers, and more. Plus, with Exola acting as your merchant of record, they assume the risk of cost of complex VATs, sales taxes, laws, and regulations. Leave every transaction to the experts while you focus on retaining and expanding your audience. You can get started today. Just head over to exola.pro slash paystation or look for the link in the description of this episode. Exola Payments, it's what your gaming business needs to succeed. Switching mediation providers might seem like a pain in the ass, but it doesn't have to be. If you're thinking of making the transition from Mopub to IronSource, we've got you covered. First, we've created a dedicated tool that removes the manual work when migrating to IronSource mediation. Second, we'll be holding workshops with IronSource experts where you can have all your migration needs taken care of. And if you want to do it yourself, we also have technical documentation for migrating to IronSource mediation in our Knowledge Center. To learn more about these initiatives and begin monetizing with IronSource today, head to www.is.com forward slash migrate. That's www.is.com forward slash migrate. This podcast is brought to you by Google for Games. It takes more than a collection of tools to help you bring your gaming vision to life. With cross-platform solutions that give you access to billions of potential players around the world, Google is your partner to create great games, connect with players, and scale your business. Visit g.co slash Google for Games or go to the link in the podcast description below. And if you ask me, Google for Games is the destination to learn more about game solutions, some latest research, and insights from Google's gaming teams to help you achieve your goals. If you're not driving or working out while listening to this podcast, I really suggest you fire up that browser and check out Google for Games. <laughs> welcome, welcome, welcome everybody to This Week in Games episode 189. This is a record-breaking episode in the sense that we have five, five co-hosts at the same time. So this is going to be a, a trialing, trialing episode. We got Mr. Cress, we got Laura... We got Adam and we got Mr. Suf. Why did I say Mr. Suf? Anyways, we got we got Cress, Laura, Adam, and Suford. So welcome to the episode. We got a lot of things to talk about. I'm excited because I haven't been on for a long time. So we're going to talk about Blizzard. Uh, we're going to talk about uh, what has happened to all the video games uh, and a very interesting article that came from Games Industry Biz. And we're going to talk about, oh my God, what a, what a title, Leading Standards Organizations and Companies Unite to Drive Open Metaverse Interoperability. Probably really, really boring, but we're going to talk about that as well. How is everybody doing? And let's start with, with coordinated effort. Eric, anything new, uh, Cress, on, the, uh, on the, your, your son's basketball career? <laughs> I'm dying to know, man. I'm dying to know. <laughs> like, has he been signed to Duke already? Well, it- <laughs> If you must know, the big tournament in uh, L.A., <laughs> Coca-Cola Classic, they uh, got to the uh, 
They got to the uh, winner's uh, bracket, championship bracket, but they lost in the first round in the three-pointer from a guy, a kid who was over six the whole fucking day. And he hit that, he bounced the last second of the game, shot a three-pointer to win. Um, and we were losing the whole game. So it was a little, dis- it, they played well. They did well. My son did well. Everyone did well. It was just a disappointing end. Uh, but it was a cool, cool tournament. And then we're going to go to Vegas in July, and that'll be a big tournament should, as well. Does your son well, wear all Jordans? Does he ask for, like, rare drops? No. He <laughs> <Yeah>. does? <laughs> Dude, the amount of money I spend on sho- <laughs> shoes for that kid is, is unbelievable. <laughs> unbelievable. Um, but, uh, yeah, he deserves it. He's working hard. Um, I don't know. Quick update for me. I am now officially 51. Woo! Dude, I am on the back nine of life. And I am, Wait, I am on, loving it. Hold on, back, right? back and, nine. And for the, bro, you're not going to be 100. <laughs> back nine. You're be 100. Oh, yeah. Are you kidding me? These days? Dude, nowadays, bro, everyone's going to live you're past You're at the 19th hole. Is that what they call it? The, uh, <laughs> the bar where, where after you're done playing? <laughs> <laughs> That's right. I got a beer and a cigarette, right? Um, anyway, for those paying attention at home, I did not achieve my 15 by 50. So I am not CEO material at EA or an executive material at EA, but I did lose 20 pounds from 210 to 190. I'm around 22% body fat, which is fine. Um, and about, I lost 35 from my peak nice, about man. two years ago. So I, 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 I feel like I'm crushing. I feel good. I, I, I'm, I haven't drunk. So I have, the only problem is I haven't drank alcohol for the last eight months, which is just, fucking inhuman right and uh i'm 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 gonna go try to go for another four so i can make it a year and then reassess but not drinking is just you know that's yeah that's painful but uh that's a perfect segue to the boondoggle that is coming on uh, very soon so gamescom (laughs) in cologne i think that is in august i'm not sure exactly what the date is but it's in august so uh dof together with novik uh and phoenix games we're organizing a boondoggle very limited seats, you know, hundreds of seats, but very limited on this really cool sort of a German beach type of vibey thing that, that we're planning. It's going to be an awesome event. People are going to drink alcohol there. Uh, it is mandatory. So if you're not drinking, don't <laughs> sign stay up. Away. Stay away. Yeah, stay away. This, this is not your thing. Go to the game. You're games not welcome. Place yeah. So mandatory drinking uh, and, um, and <laughs> more information will be coming in. Uh, as as we go, we're planning this together, so it's going to be fun. We're calling it uh, Royal at the Beach. Uh, information coming in soon, so it's going to be fun. If you're traveling to Gamescom and you're not opposed of getting intoxicated, uh, just a little bit, just not much, but just a little bit, uh, you should definitely uh, apply. Now they're going to cancel. It's like <laughs> that, was, that was a bad ad. Uh, uh, Laura, was, uh, yeah, go ahead. I got it. So I got a related update. Uh, I have booked the venue for the mobile dev memo slush 2022 party. Wow. I'm making my return. I haven't been in three years. I used to throw a party every year at, uh, at, uh, grotesque. Uh, it was somewhat of a tradition. Uh, I threw it with app loving and adjust. I'm going out on my own this year. It's just mobile dev memo app love and adjust. Thank you guys so much for the memories. Uh, this is going to be just a mobile dev memo party this year. Book your calendars. It's November 17th, 8 p.m. to 12 a.m., so kind of right after dinners, but right before the real party hours. Uh, drinking is not mandatory if you want to come. Not have an alcoholic beverage, that's totally fine. Uh, you know, do whatever <laughs> you want. 
Um, also, there's probably no NFT needed for access, but stay tuned. That might change. <laughs> <laughs> Damn. Oh. You'd actually do. Yeah. Come on, like you should just say yeah. no NFTs. I, you know what? I'm not. I'm not going to rule it out. Party. I'm not going to rule it out. Yeah. We'll see. Mm-hmm. MDM <laughs> coin. <laughs> Get it. Get it before it plummets. <laughs> uh, Laura, how's it? Where are you right now? Like Laura is literally like if you follow Laura on Instagram, you're in different country every other day. <laughs> I mean, that, that's a fair point. Right now, I'm actually in Seattle. Um, and before that, I, on my way from London to Seattle, I actually stopped through Montreal and Toronto to actually see Adam and his uh, his wife, Nicole, for the weekend. And yeah, it was lovely. We had some great walks, great weather. Well, how, how, how was it, Laura? Like on a, on a public <laughs> podcast, did you enjoy? It was, it was, it was great. <laughs> the house of, house of children. <laughs> now, wait a minute. Now, hold on, hold on. There was one big omission in that statement, right? She said nothing about the baby. The baby was <laughs> so great. Like, clearly something No, the baby's happened. great. I got to hold the Kept baby. You awake. I, I have to say, I, the baby was up, I think, certain nights I was there, and I kind of just slept through it. So baby was great. Wow. Well, that's <laughs> all right. All right. Yeah, Laura somehow like slept through the baby. Like we actually had a terrible <laughs> night with the baby, and we're still having terrible nights with the baby. But Laura somehow slept in the room next to the baby and still just slept right through. So like, oh, it's the greatest sleep, you know? Like here's wow. suburban I wish life. I had that you know? skill. Oh man. Ambient, <laughs> ambient, and alcohol. <laughs> what, what, right. Why are you traveling so much? What, what's, what's, what's the reason for all the travel? Uh, well, we I actually went uh, to Canada from to Montreal for work, um, and then I'm in Seattle working with my team. So, I'm actually based in I live in London. I've lived in London for the last eight years, but I work for Big Fish, which is headquartered in Seattle. Thankfully, there's a direct flight, so I mean it's it's not so bad. Nine hours on a plane, I catch up on Switch games, play some mobile games. It's fine. Awesome. Doesn't sound fun. But cool. <laughs> um, <laughs> Adam, what's new in the north? Absolutely not. Uh, obviously, like the the one thing that has happened in the last year was the quarantine <laughs> visit. So that's the only update I can give. <laughs> yeah, your life um, must be boring, dude. All right, moving on. I, I I do woodworking. That's what I do. That's my thing. <laughs> oh, for Christ's sake! All right, this yep. thing is grinding right, to a halt right, now. All right, Let's all right, go, go all move right. on. Um, grinding to a woodworking. Okay, so I got I got a couple of a couple of updates. So I listened to the last episode, and you guys were talking about <clears throat> Blizzard. And you're making a lot of hypotheses regarding the UA at Blizzard. Now, uh, the the person who's heading the the performance marketing at at Blizzard is Kasim Zorlu, who actually Sufert knows really well. And I think they are on top of UA and are quite modern in their approach of UA. Like Kasim has a history of you know investing hundreds of millions. Like he's worked at Peak, Graham, and Rovio. Um, all of them quite big advertisers. So uh, I, you know, there was a hypothesis that they have a very old school approach of, um, of, of performance marketing, that they focus more on brand marketing and how they will be able to handle it. I wouldn't be that worried knowing who they have on, on that spot. So that's kind of like my comment uh, regarding your conversations um, in the last podcast. Dude, the fucking scoreboard, dude. They're not doing UA, dude. They, they're barely downloading right now. I mean, it's just like this. There's no, there's no debate. They did a, here, but I did a Snoop Dogg TikTok. Video. Yeah, that kind of I think stuff. It's that's not. <laughs> it's all brand marketing. There's no UA, is, dude. Is Kasim I mean, at, that, that, he's not at Blizzard. He's at Activision, right? Isn't he? No, he's at Blizzard. Is he? Okay. Yeah. 
Well, yeah, look, they're not giving him the budget. They, you know, he doesn't, I don't know and, what's going on over and, there, but and also, on. Mishka, stum, just saying, just saying that, uh, that in, according to reliable sources, there's a lot of listeners to this podcast on, on, in, in Blizzard, and this is actively shared in their channels. Uh, so, um, again, <laughs> and that kind of leads to the back information that I may or may not be referencing well, here. So, um, so that, that's, I mean, those are like, I'm sure they, yeah. I'm sure they are. I'm sure they are. I mean, I'm sure they have, I mean, you, Kasim's there. I just looked at his LinkedIn. He said they're building a big team. Like, I'm sure they have a team. I'm sure they have tech, but I mean, I've worked with enough of these big corps, you know, that are not mo mobile native and it's not the same level of, I don't know, uh, devotion and, uh, discipline that, that you see at like a mobile native studio. So I, I, I imagine they, yes, I'm sure they spend money on UA. I'm sure everyone there is great. But a lot of times, like these big sort of integrated, you know, uh, gaming behemoths, they just don't resource it enough to really scale, right? And like they don't want to de devote just to it, UA. It's like a, a broader marketing exercise. Yeah, at EA. Because so, I'm like, assuming the UA segment gets measured effectively, right? Like they have that ROAS readout for that direct marketing. But then all the brand stuff just goes and gets measured some other way in some other thing and gets a whole separate budget, which... Maybe even be larger. I have no idea. All right, this is a this is I, this is a okay. rabbit hole. All, All right. right, let's continue. All right, Stumble uh, guys. Stumble guys. So this is a a studio out of Finland that hit a pretty impressive scale, and it's a it's a very upstart studio in a city called uh, City is a, like a very nice way to put it. <laughs> it's a, it's a village up in north. Like it's a, they're right by the wall, and um, <laughs> and uh, <laughs> and. and like they have this little small design school that has been producing actually quite impressive game studios. And this is one of them. It's called Kitka Games. Kitka means actually friction. Um, so friction games. Uh, they made a game called Stumble Guys, uh, multiplayer royale. So of course, this is very much reliant on sort of like a hyper casual version of Fall Guys. And till this date, it hasn't been out for that much, but it, they have already 120 million downloads with in-app purchase revenue of around 20 million. But according to a news article uh, in Finland, they are making at the moment 10 million in revenue a month. So there's a tremendous amount of ad revenue. Now, this came out of the woodwork. I'm not sure who the, if they even have an investor, uh, but, uh, but it's gonna be interesting if they get acquired or if they have been already acquired or if they get sued by Epic <laughs> because it's so close to Fall Guys. Hopefully that doesn't happen because that would be uh, not a nice outcome. Uh, but uh, but super impressive, uh, really great to see these type of uh, success stories coming seemingly out of nowhere. And this kind of like builds up and keeps my belief in mobile games that, that a great game can come out from anywhere and can scale up. This Mr. is kind of crazy though, right? Like um, Fall Guys is, was launched August 2020, right? September 20th, uh, 2020, mm -hmm. they launch it, or at least soft launch it. It starts becoming successful in November 2021. And then like that's when the rocket ship happens. And now we're at a point where if we kind of estimate 50% ad revenue, right now they're at this like 10 million a month thing. Like it's such a hockey stick, but still like that, the stick part of the hockey stick is still pretty long. Uh, so I'm wondering what happened, what changed? Yeah. Was it the I ball? Bet, I, bet, <laughs> I bet they completely- At <laughs> the weather? No, I think they probably completely redid the game to copy Fall Guys, right? Yeah, I'm, I'm saying it's always been a copy of Fall Guys since September 2020. Right. And at that point, they were making $1,000 yeah. a month. 
the assumption would be like when <laughs> Fall Guys was at its biggest, yeah, right, right, right. it would get its maybe, biggest lift. But it made thousand dollars. Maybe they have actual UA guys that are doing UA, right? Maybe, maybe that happened. Yeah. I, I, wait, I don't wait, know. Can you convince UA people to move to no, the wall? No, is that no. possible? <laughs> <laughs> but right. it's a, it's a really interesting fall guys. Yeah, so I guess we can move on to the uh, the, the yeah. segue there, which is fall guys uh, on PC console. Um, the big news there was that they reached twenty million downloads of their free to play version within forty eight hours. Um, so my reading on this is their premium version in terms of units sold has sold a lot more than 20 million units. So this feels like this is brand new, new players, new installs starting at when they launched as free to play. Um, and this is also when they opened up uh, Xbox and Switch. So already they've already kind of got a baked in audience on PlayStation and on PC. So now this is a bunch of free players coming in on Sony and PC on top of opening up the floodgates on Xbox and Switch. So 20 million installs in 48 hours is very impressive because this is actually technically faster than Apex Legends during that that like crazy boom of Apex Legends at that time. Um, so again, very impressive, especially since the game was launched in August 2020. So this is like a two-year-old game getting a free-to-play version, right? And only two platforms has now dethroned the top shooter on PC console. Um, so for... For me, it's just a huge kudos to the Mediatonic team and yeah, they, however they, they grew there, right? Yeah, go ahead. They must have been, they must have do lots of influencer or YouTube, all kinds of stuff in order to like generate that kind of buzz. And for the record, by the way, the Nintendo Switch SKU is an absolute fucking train wreck, right? It is terrible. Like, don't play it on the Switch. <laughs> I've been told yeah. anyway. Um, but the Xbox yeah, the, the Wi Fi there, like playing any I mean, free to play online game dude, on Switch is really a struggle. Nintendo's got to pull their head out of their ass and make a device that actually has good online capability. But uh, hopefully, next version of the Switch. Um, but anyway, this is pretty cool. Yeah, it's just sad because then, like, okay, from these 20 million, how many of those are Switch? You've got to assume that their retention is yeah. going to be pretty yeah. poor. Uh, yeah. But either my way, either way, 20 million is important. My, my, my stun is completely blowing me out of a I know it's a focus group of one, but he was playing this fall guy thing and, and he was playing, he was playing for the, uh, for the achievements to get through the goddamn, uh, battle pass. And I'm like, what are you doing exactly? <laughs> you hate this game, but yet you're so addicted to it. You gotta finish the achievements. So I, I, I uh, kudos to these guys who are literally like converting the unconvertible. <laughs> so, um, all right, anyway, taking it, moving on. How's that back nine going for you, Chris? <laughs> <laughs> Seriously. I get reminded every day, every goddamn day. <laughs> These kids in their crazy battle passes. Um, anyways, uh, the thing that's actually kind of nuts for me is like they had that two years to actually kind of soft launch this game as a premium game. So the, I know we, there's as a PC console game, we've, they've always struggled as like, how do you actually effectively soft launch? And that's where you get these situations like Diablo Immortal with these awkward closed betas. Um, but here they had two years of being a premium um, edition where they kind of perfected the game and figured out how to actually retain their core audience. Like they have squads and duos and clans and guilds and all the, all of this stuff to retain that base. And then now they're going free to play. This is when they're getting a big swath of players um, when they're more uh, optimized product. All right, yeah. all right like let's that. take it back to Finland. We've been talking about too many things. So a uh, bit odd uh, team came out of stealth and raised 5 million euro seed fund 
to build games filled with wonders, weirdness, and delight. Now, this is a gaming company based heavily, like in the smack middle of Helsinki, founded by some of the lead creatives behind Supercell's hit games, Clash of Clans and Clash Royale. Uh, the president of the company, Lasse, is um, actually my former boss. Uh, he was also the AD and the game lead of Clash of Clans. Uh, they, he has two other artists that came, that join him from Supercell. They're at the moment hiring a senior 3D artist and a lead client. If you feel that you want to join a, a group of, uh, of just absolutely the best in the world game makers, DM me. I can make an intro. And if you're like a really, really good senior 3D artist or a, or a client engineer, uh, Unity. And um, this round was led by Index Ventures with the participation of one other super great fund. Super, do you know that? Yeah, yeah. I was lucky enough to be able to participate <laughs> through my Heracles Capital Fund. I don't know. I wasn't on the podcast when I did the press for the fund. Uh, so I don't know if I ever uh, talked about it. It's never been spoken about no. on the podcast. But I launched a fund investing in mobile. Uh, the future of mobile growth is the kind of headline. Um and investing in mobile content, especially games, mobile ad tech. If you're building a mobile gaming studio, building a, a mobile ad tech product, talk to me first. Uh, talk to me before you've quit your job. I invest very early, but I was really excited, uh, really, uh, to be able to have the great privilege to participate in this round. Um, Lasse is, is, you know, can only be described as, as like a creative genius. Um, he's really fantastic. Uh, he's what are they? What are they? What are they building? Anybody, any uh, idea what uh, they're building? Uh, what game? What kind of game? I, I can't say. Still stealth? Yeah. Okay. It, it, it doesn't matter. It's X-Clash of Clans team. <laughs> X-Clash yeah. reveal. It's, it's, it's quirky. It's unique. It's all about gameplay. It's all about, uh, it's all about how, how fun it is. To, like, you know what kind of games Supercell makes. It's all about the core gameplay. So, um, so yeah. I feel really privileged to have been invited to participate in this round. Lasse's uh, a creative genius, and I'm really excited to see what they build. Yeah, and I, I do have to say, like, the way, like, why you take Heracles Capitals as a part of the, as, as one of the investors, you usually take, um, come in early, like pre-seed seed, not leading perhaps many of the of the rounds, but I keep telling, like, all these, all these companies that are spawning that, that you need to take Heracles Capitals because, you help companies to scale. Like you are one of the few experts on scaling and growing games. Oh my God. All right. Enough. And, enough, yeah, right, well, enough of this shit. I'm the advertisement is over. Advertisement is over. That went like five minutes too long. Moving on. All Jesus portfolio Christ. companies get automatic access to the mobile dev memo slush 2022 party. You get the NFT. Boom. You're in. <laughs> yes. I'll be there. Definitely. Damn it! Now I got to start up a company. Just no, to Adam, I mean, you're you're out. You're out. Period, man. I'm sorry, but yeah, yeah. <laughs> wasn't even come anyways. Super. Okay. Uh, segue into another supercell topic. Uh, so Clash Quest. Uh, they just went through a major reset. I think we missed it a few. I think it happened a couple weeks ago. Um, where Clash Quest, which is kind of that, um, what is it? Legends of Soul Guard types of puzzles, CCRPG. Um, they actually reset the full game's economy, reset all the players back, um, and it looks like they're trying to test out a new progression system and, and new design for the game. Um, so based on the metrics, we're looking at something about a $1.36 RPI in Canada by this point. Um, Sensor Terror estimates retention of about 62% D1, 27% D7, which is amazing, um, but then falls to about 11% for D30. Um, so for, for Supercell, like, 
these are pretty typical retention numbers. Like they always uh, really impress on these numbers. Um, but looking at the RPI, monetization has to be weak if that if we can get, take these retention numbers at face value. And the retention decay, especially between that 7 and 30, seems pretty steep. Um, but of course, take that with a grain of salt, given that this is a soft launch and Sensor Tower's uh, sample size would have to be small. Um, this is also similar to what they did with Brawl Stars, right? When they, they had to reset their economy multiple times and and uh, try out completely different progression systems. So this just feels like they're giving it the space it needs to figure itself out. Um, my sense is that this game is still, even with this update, trying to straddle between being a puzzle and being a puzzle RPG um, and really is kind of a saga game. Like my advice still remains is actually to shift this to becoming a full-blown collection CCRPG and actually find ways to inject deeper progression, more modes, collection pressure. But the vision still remains that this seems like it wants to be more like a casual game. Um, so that that remains my flag here. I'm not sure if this up. Uh, to mine, Laura, have you I, played it? I played it early. I really liked it, but I, I'm a puzzle player. I'm a casual puzzle player, and it did feel like there was they didn't pick their audience well enough. So I felt like they were they were looking for this group that kind of like me. I can go into kind of tower defense. I can go to light strategy, but it it didn't fall into. I agree with you. It didn't fall enough into one category of whether it was going to be a casual game and leaning into that or it was going to be going more into the um, RPG aspect. And it just felt like there's not enough of an audience for wh where how they're trying to target. Is there a chance here that as a casual game, like if it really leaned into being an effective saga game, that this core gameplay could succeed? So when I, I played the early version of it, I haven't played the most recent, so I don't know how much they changed. But based on my memory, I think one of the issues is it starts to get really difficult. And there's there's only so much strategy you can really give to puzzle players. And there's going to be people that are arguing left and right that, yes, some puzzle players love strategy. They don't. They like fake strategy. They like the idea of strategy, except it's not actually strategy. And once you get into this where you have to start making the right moves and you're going to fail and repeat it, it and it's not something that's a little bit more easy easy on the brain kind of just not i want to say mindless but doesn't require heavy heavy lifting whereas some of this some of these decisions you have to make in terms of how you're going to execute your troops really do does require a lot of mental energy and that just it's just going to remove a lot of people from from i think if they want this to be mass market that's just not going to work yeah, it seems like they're they're following Brawl Stars also in the sense that that to my knowledge the game lead has also been changed. So they kind of do that where where kind of like a one game lead tries everything and then a new game lead comes in with a new strategy. So it's really nice that they're giving new life and new tries through that. So hopefully they'll be able to turn it around. Mini clip. Yes. Um, so Mini clip has acquired Cybo. Uh, which is the developer behind Subway Surfers. So the article is from Venture Beat, Games Beat. Miniclip will acquire Subway Surfers maker Cybo. So the deal terms were not announced, but, uh, and I'm quoting from the article, Graydal Norvig, who is the CEO, sorry for probably butchering that name. Graydal Norvig said it is the biggest deal in European mobile games this year. Not really sure, without digging into that, I'm not really sure what kind of range that puts it in. I don't think there were any big blockbuster deals this year in Europe. Um, my guess, if I had to guess, was probably sub-100 million, uh, but that's just a guess. 
So the game was initially launched with Kilu as a publishing partner, but that relationship ended in 2020, and Saibo became the publisher of record. A number of my former colleagues from Rovio had joined Saibo, in, including my former boss, David, who's the COO. Uh, the article claims that they have 30 million DAU, which... Chris, Chris, you're typing. Yeah, it's Chris. God damn it. God. So <laughs> sorry. The article sorry. claims that, that Subway Surfers, which I think is the only game that Saibo publishes, it claims that they have 30 million DAU. That's massive. Uh, so, okay, I think this is part of a general consolidation trend. Um, it's harder to scale games. My sense is that Saibo's publishing capabilities are not fully developed, right? You know, remember, keep in mind, they, they only took the game in, you know, two years ago from Kilu. Uh, I don't believe they have, I know that they have some people on a UA team. I don't think it's very large. Um, my sense is also that they're probably mostly dependent on organic discovery, right? Uh, the game is old. Uh, I, I, I believe it was launched in 2012, right? So it's 10 years old. Uh, they're about to celebrate the 10th anniversary. That's right. So it, it, I, I imagine there's like a lot of reinstalls. There's a lot of just general organic, uh, awareness of the game and, and the vast, vast, vast majority, if not the entirety of all new installs uh, or very near the entirety of all new installs are organic. Uh, I would also assume that their CPMs are compressed on iOS um, and just generally low on Android. Uh, the compression from iOS being a result of ATT and, and there's not much reason for optimism around, you know, at, you know, CPMs increasing in the near term future uh, on either of those platforms with sort of like future changes that are happening within the ecosystem. I think this is a really astute acquisition by Miniclip. Um, obviously a massive user base, acquire Subway Surfers uh, and cross-promote that, you know, user base throughout the broader mini clip portfolio, which is almost entirely very casual. Um, if they are generating a lot of organic installs, then you've got a great funnel into the, into the portfolio. If I was mini clip, I'd also be thinking about how to support all of this with some owned ad tech. Um, yeah, anyway, I think it was a great acquisition. No, no real insight onto what the price was. I, I've been uh, doing some back of the napkin math, trying to figure out what they could uh, possibly be generating on a yearly basis. And that 30 million number uh, just just makes every estimate like way, way, way too high. Uh, I mean, even if you assume a very low ARP Dow of like two, two cents, right? That would, that would result in like $216 million uh, of revenue a year, which, which I just don't think could possibly be the case. So um, that 30 million number is kind of a, uh, uh, and, uh, and a, a, conf a confusing number uh, that makes doing any sort of uh, uh, projections very difficult. Um, but but uh, one thing to keep in mind is, you know, you talk to any advertiser and and they would have blacklisted Subway Surfers a long time ago, right? It, it, very similar to how uh, advertisers blacklist all the Voodoo games uh, and and any of the sort of like new kind of uh, very uh, hyper viral. Uh, hyper casual games, they get, they get blacklisted immediately. S Subway surfers would have been blacklisted for a very long time. So my guess is the CPMs are kind of like much lower than, you know, what any other casual gaming company would normally experience. But, uh, you know, if, if, if any of the Cybo people want to provide more detail, would, would be happy to hear it. But congrats to them. Congrats to Miniclip. I think it was a good acquisition. Dude, these guys do between 15 and 25 million downloads a month. Like this is like this is how viral this game is. A game that's ten years old is still. But my my guess, a lot of those are reinstalls, though. They have to be. Yeah, maybe, but but I mean, it's it, it's engagement, right? Yeah, sure. In sure. theory, but yeah, yes. Excited about NFTs in the metaverse? Ready to be part of the future of gaming? 
Recur is looking for talented producers, product managers, game designers, economy designers, and engineers. Recur is building branded NFT collectibles and games with top IP, including College Sports, Paramount, Star Trek, Nickelodeon, Sanrio, and more, using its best-in-the-industry technology platform. Recur's platform streamlines the NFT collecting experience. No crypto or third-party wallets required. Simply buy an NFT with your credit card or Apple Pay. And Recur's robust gamification system creates infinite collecting and gameplay possibilities from which to make compelling play and earn experiences. Recur is backed by some of the biggest names in crypto and NFTs, including billionaire Stephen Cohn, Gary Vee, and Gemini, among others. Join us now and get ready to ride a rocket ship. Let's fucking go. So I just wanted to give a quick thing because this just came up this morning. So Blizzard has acquired Spellbreak, um, the, the game and the studio, which is called Proletariat, uh, to bolster World of Warcraft. Um, so this looks like an aqua hire of roughly about a hundred person team uh, based out of Boston. Um, Spellbreak, the game was a battle royale um, melee combat or like magical combat game um, with a similar art style to Fortnite. Uh, it was actually published by Epic. Um, but really, I have not seen a lot from it. They launched on Epic. They launched on Switch. Um, it didn't really look like things like from Twitch uh, had shown much interest in the title. So uh, they're, they've now announced that they're sunsetting the title and likely are shifting all resources towards supporting uh, World of Warcraft. Yeah, this um, is like a, this is one of the fastest follows for Fortnite, right? And it's a, basically yeah. a fantasy um, basically a fantasy Fortnite, right? Fantasy value. Battle I, I think what made... Yeah. I, I thought yeah. uh, the game wasn't yeah. that bad, but I just I just think it felt what, flat. What made the game? What made what made the game interesting? I remember when that game came out, and it was kind of like on the radar of a lot of startups because I, if I'm remembering correctly, that I might be totally wrong, but I remember looking at that game and and being asked to look at that game because they were able to raise consequential round by showing how well they uh, built the community around the game. This was before the goddamn NFT craze. Um, but they built a, a strong community around that game. And it was, I think it was the like intense of thousands that were playing this game on Discord and giving a lot of feedback. So that kind of showed the traction before they actually hit the market and couldn't show the market traction. So I remember through that and I actually connected with the CEO, uh, a very smart guy. And I think uh, I remember talking to him and, and was quite impressed by how well they were able to hire engineers. So I think that was another thing that, uh, that helped with this aqua hire because they built a pretty impressive team. Yeah. They've been at it for a while, right? Yeah. The, the studio is pretty old. Yeah. Mobile games, even mo like yeah. old mobile nine, games. Yeah. Nine yeah. years. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and they had a, yeah, they had a, like take two was a strategic investor. Uh, and there's a bunch of, like, if you look at the investors, I, I yeah. think NetEase or Tencent was also a strategic investor. So their cap table was like good investors as well as a lot of strategic investors. So it's interesting cop from, uh, from Blizzard or Activision Blizzard to kind of come in uh, and snap it from those guys. Yeah, it wasn't, I think A16Z did, I did a clubhouse with Seth one time that was organized by John. Mm -hmm. And I think they don't, they would, they would, they would probably be portfolio companies that are invited. I, I think maybe they invested really? too, but I don't know. Were, were they X Riot? Oh, X Blizzard. Or maybe, <laughs> I'm just, <laughs> just, just kidding. Uh, okay, All right, moving let's on. Let's talk about Blizzard. Uh, as, as, yeah, I'm the only one keeping this thing moving. You guys just um, anyway. Um, all right, so is Blizzard back? Uh, this was just a few articles that I've seen in some coverage of uh, of Blizzard recently, and uh, as I expected back in the day when they Activision announced this thing, is that 
the whole issues around Blizzard are completely swept under the rug now that the acquisition with Activision is happening, right? No one's paying attention. The spotlight is gone. And so I listened to this coverage about these games that are coming out from Blizzard and no one is even talking about it, right? They're just like moving, going on and on about the, the great, you know, product pipeline of, of Blizzard. And, and, and so I guess on the surface, if you look at it, I, I think you have to agree, you know, Blizzard seems to be back, right? Diablo Immortal launch, you know, there's some pushback from the community, no doubt about that, uh, about the aggressive monetization in the end game. But nonetheless, um, the game is successfully launched. It's really high quality Diablo game by most measures, right? Um, and it's and it's likely helping kind of re-energize the, the base about Diablo in general for next year, potentially, right? Then we have the World of Warcraft expansion that's coming out next year, or sorry, this year. Uh and with a new race and class. And I'm pretty confident in saying that it will be probably the best-selling expansion that they've seen for the last three expansions, just for the fact that they have a new class and a new race. Uh, that brings li likely lots of people back, of course. Um, and then Overwatch 2, <laughs> which we'll get to in a minute, but that's releasing this year, evidently, like in, 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 in kind of a shocking way, but we'll talk about that. Diablo 4 next year, that's definitely coming, supposedly, from my sources as well as the company. Um, after about over 10 years now, um, it's coming out next year. Um, and then finally, we just really haven't seen much press about the shitty stuff that's going on at, at, at Blizzard in a long time, right? And some of the cases are getting adjudicated and all that stuff is kind of moving on, right? Moving on. Um but I guess, you know, on the surface, things look good, but, you know, has everything been fixed at Blizzard? And I actually probably could argue on both sides of this, this argument, but, uh, but like, for example, I think, you know, Diablo Immortal seems like a disappointment, generally speaking, in terms of scale, right? Like, of course, you know, the China release is still imminent, but that thing looks like it, it may be delayed indefinitely, so we don't know what's going to go on there. Um, but the re revenue doesn't move the needle for Blizzard, right? First of all, they share more of the, I think Nettie's probably gets most of the revenue anyway. And, and the, the amount of dollars we're talking about is just meaningless to Blizzard or Activision at this stage. Um, I think the World of Warcraft thing, I'm excited personally for the World of Warcraft thing, but, uh, but and I do think it'll bring people back to WoW, but there are concerns about the long-term uh, viability of the, of the expansion, how much content is available to keep people engaged. Uh, you know, but we'll see, I, I, I'll remain, hopeful on that overwatch 2 is just dumb i absolutely dumb i don't even know what is going on with this right like a free-to-play version that kind of eliminates some some levels from the overwatch one everyone translates over to overwatch 2 and like it seems like a freaking mess right and I, the way i look at it right now and, and there's no innovation none whatsoever it's like nothing has happened in the space for the last decade right like you know we have apex we have valorant we have like Fortnite, which continues to innovate and do different things to engage the audience. We have Call of Duty, the hero Call of Duty skew coming out this year. It's like, how is this thing possibly going to compete when it's just the same game with a new, like, it's, it's not even a new skin. It's more of like a, a new color palette, right? For the, for the it's, it's ridiculous. And that the PVE mode is, is non-existent until next year. This game is, I think personally, that this thing as a free-to-play game is going to sell or download less than the premium game from Overwatch 1. 
if I were to guess. I, I think it's going to be a disaster. And if that's not the case, there's just no one that's going to stick around with this game. So it doesn't make any sense. Now, Diablo 4, on the other hand, dude, they could, they could deliver a pile of poo and this thing would sell 20 million plus, right? So I don't have any issue with that. That game's going to be amazing. And I think it's on track, from what I could say. But, um, but and, and also they need it, right? Because Activision needs it to offset the Call of Duty lacking a, a release next year. And on the culture side, I am still hearing all kinds of terrible stories about people moving in and out. Like, it's hard to hire people, hard to keep people. And it's like, I don't know if that, that, that drama is, is ending uh, anytime soon. But, and I, I wish feedback on this one. It feels like they've actually turned a, some type of corner here, if I were to guess. And I would love your comments if you guys have any. Um, I think the Microsoft transaction has basically removed them from the spotlight. So no one is focused. The Kotaku guys aren't doing some kind of investigative <laughs> nonsense reporting that they do. Um, and, uh, and, and they're getting some great games out. Like I, and, I, and it looks like the next couple of years, the, the slate looks pretty solid. And I'm personally very excited about the content roadmap. So I'll take that to the bank. But any of you ex-Blizzard or anybody else out there that's uh, following this more closely than I am, you know, let me know. Have they kind of turned a corner? Has the changing of the guard occurred? And now they're going to execute, execute, execute like Bobby wanted them to, you know? Or is this just a mirage of, of, of announcements and potential releases? So anyway, that's kind of my take. Adam, anything? Your thoughts as an expert? No, not really. Uh, this is just a ton of speculation at this point. I think also what's going to happen with this Microsoft acquisition, right? Like, I think that's more going to be when the changing tide actually happens. Yeah. And as I said last week, there's more and more indication that something is amiss with this transaction. So uh, my, my, my conviction level on whether it's going to close Why? has gone what down changed? dramatically. <laughs> so, the stock price has not changed. It's gone down. I mean, it's trading like it's not going to happen, basically. Mm. And there's some rumblings, even at the even at the U.S. level, that uh, they may make an example of this transaction. So, but that's a whole other subject that I'm not going to go into. Um, but yeah, it's interesting. I, I have so people are starting to evaluate Activision as a standalone, and and is if it's a good investment as a standalone. I have to say that I've I've heard like you know contradicting stuff from inside blizzard as you have like you know to to people that i would talk to they say that you know that they're in terms of culture that it's it's better and a lot of people who have left it's actually good that a lot of people have left and that they are quite forward looking and the uh, the support that they're getting from activision and and the changes that have been happening are are quite supportive for new ways of working so i don't know like I, I do get the different type of a message than, than you do. So just saying that it's not unanimous. So, Yeah, I, 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 I again, I've heard mixed things, but I, I would say that without the spotlight on them, like the, it, it's hard to be negative about where you're at when there's no real drama happening. When you have, are constantly with a barrage of coverage that's saying Blizzard is a shitty place, sh shitty place, it becomes a shitty place. It's a self-fulfilling prophecy and everyone's unhappy. Right. But because that coverage is gone because of this transaction, I think that's eliminating a lot of the uh, scrutiny. If that all makes mm. sense to you, but that's that's kind of my the way I look at it. But I think it's a very simplistic <laughs> way of looking at it. But what I really want to know is what, what's real, like what's happening behind the scenes. And I haven't really been following it as much as I had in the past. And so 
I am, I am proving the point to some degree, right? I haven't been paying attention because it's not been on the press. So perfect. All right, moving on. The metaverse standards. <laughs> I don't think it's boring. Oh, sorry. Uh, before, before you, no, I know that's what I'm going to say before Laura starts. This is not boring. This is important, right? I mean, it's absolute bullshit, <laughs> right? but it's really important that this shit's happening, right? So like, I don't know why you think it's boring. I mean, the, the metaverse is like the next thing, right? For most, a lot of people. So Laura. Well, I, I think the one thing that I think is, is important to mention is that like, there is no standard definition of like what the metaverse is. Everyone has their own idea. Most of the tech doesn't exist yet. And so I, I actually find this interesting that finally, I think this is led by meta is they're trying to put together um, a forum that is, you know, bringing people together to kind of define and tackle some of these problems. So in theory, I love the approach. So I think how they've, how they've um, described it about themselves, they're, they're hoping to bring together leading standards, organizations and companies for industry-wide cooperation on interoperability standards needed to build the open metaverse. It's completely free and they want to focus on prototyping and hackathons, open source tooling, anything that will accelerate development of, I think, all of the missing tech needed to make whatever, however the metaverse ends up being defined. And they're ambitious. They, they want to kick this off in July. I had a peek at the current list of members and I mean, it's, it's a big list. I, I picked out some of the, the, the big names, which is, of course, Meta, Adobe, Alibaba, Autodesk, Epic, Huawei. Uh, Ikea, NVIDIA. I mean, it, it's it's everyone that's Ikea? only small. Ikea, I, that's, I was surprised, but they have- Give me a break. Uh, I mean, if you think about it, there's, I'm sure there's 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 things they can do in terms of, you know, what they're selling furniture or whatever that, you know, they could use the metaverse <laughs> or whatever the, however you would describe some sort of like putting on a headset, I mean, as I would picture it and designing a room. So I feel like there's there's going to be room and everyone's excited about this. I feel like one thing with the metaverse and even a little bit with crypto, people want to, people want to catch early and get involved with what they think the next big thing is going to be. I feel like no one wants to be sitting on the dock while the, the boat of that's going to be, you know, lots of money and lots of progress is leaving. Right. So I'm not surprised everyone's getting involved. I mean, I, I, I theoretically, if I, if I was part of, if I was in a strategic role, I would too, I would absolutely say we can't ignore any of this. Um, so I think, again, love the idea of this. It's, I think it's going to be necessary, um, but I don't know how it realistically work in practice. So setting the standards, which is what they want to do, including kind of safety and privacy seems a little bit more straightforward. Um, same with developing common language. It's definitely needed. Again, we have no definitions, but the, the technology, I think, is going to be. A, I, I don't. I just. I can't realistically. And tell, I mean, I'd love, I'd love uh, input on this. I can't picture how how that would work. Um, everything is a bit vague for sure. Uh, but all of these companies, and and if you're investing in this tech, you're going to be building something that's likely proprietary, right? It's going to be that you're setting it up in a way that's 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 going to be designed to have to be built around profits. So you're building a piece of tech. The idea would be everyone would license or use it or you'd have some sort of revenue from it. So I, I love the idea of this, but I don't know how it's going to work without kind of it's not, it seems contradictory against moving like working towards how do we how do we make shareholders the most profitable? So Again, it's incredibly vague. It's incredibly early. I'm really curious to see how how they're going to kind of tackle some of that, um, or if they're going to. 
I mean, I just can't picture these companies kind of saying, okay, we're going to have our best engineers work together and, and develop what will be, I don't know, deal with some of the latency issues and develop tech and that would, that would solve all of this because I, I just seems like it would be need to be charitable in a way, which is, I think uh, how the the original internet started was more of a, it was a mission that was based in, I think a, a more scholastic method, but that's not, we're not in that same place where every, these companies are super profit driven. So I, again, I don't know how that's going to work. I, my, my quick take on this, I have a hard stop in 10 minutes, but I, I, I want to comment on the next thing too, if I can, but I don't know if I can, but first of all, the incentive for standards is all a benefit for the big, right? Like Facebook wants standards so they don't have to compete against others, right? And it's just going to benefit them having standards. So everybody knows that. And so they're kind of like, coming along for the ride and, 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 and just joining them, right? And the second thing is that standards, I don't know if that makes sense from a software perspective. I can understand hardware standards, right? Like fucking VHS versus Betamax or, you know, like C, you know, uh, USB standards, even Bluetooth standards. I get that, right? Because it affects the entire ecosystem and that makes sense for everybody, right? But when it comes to software and building worlds and building, you know, the experiences and, and building back, back tech, it doesn't make any fucking sense. And then the funny part is I actually someone I knew someone that was in the room on these meetings and there are people at the meeting like doing like these like side deals saying, hey, we're going to get we're going to fucking destroy these guys. Right. We don't we don't have anything to do with this stuff like they're They're already like they're just there, like kind of half showing a leg, right? Hoping, you know, to get more information about what everyone else is doing, but they're just out there to, for their own purposes. Like, like Laura said, they're out there for their own shareholders and their own value creation. Like they're, they're, there's no benevolence in this at all, right? And, and, and so like, there's just no way you can get these type of things get together. And maybe, again, I'm a very cynical person when it comes to this type of things. Not that I don't think it's needed, but I just don't think it's very practical, practical. Uh, or, or, or realistic to think that. No, I mean, I would look at the W3C, which is like the, the web standards board, and it's just like a totally dysfunctional viper's nest of people trying to snipe each other and shoot down each other's ideas. Like, it, it's, it's, so, it's so dysfunctional that, like, it, it's, it's, it's almost like people don't want to be associated with it, right? And you, so, like, my sense is, like, these kind of standard boards, especially for yes, software-type stuff, especially, like, like Blue Sky-type stuff, it's, it's, it's just, like, positioning and jockeying to have uh, to, to be able to hopefully uh, impair your com competitors. Somewhat related, though, I think they have to do it. And there was a McKinsey report that came out last month, and they were talking about how a lot of the – one of the challenges that they're facing with the metaverse, and I'll do a summary afterwards, is the content creators care about privacy. And I, I think there's no way around it. You're going to need these content creators to come in and feel comfortable using whatever platform there is. So there's going to have to be some sort of, um, at least ho hopefully, guidelines that people do adopt saying this is how we're going to deal with safety and privacy. Otherwise, uh, and, and platform fees. I mean, I think they'll have to figure that out as well. But if you completely ignore it, I think that, I mean, I just think that would be silly. But who knows? Who knows? One, um, one quick note on on the metaverse stuff. Like I, Matthew Ball sent me his book uh, last week. I read it over the weekend. It's really fantastic. I think it does a really great job of like unpacking the concept, clarifying it. Right, like the you know the I think anytime you listen to anything about the metaverse, people are like, what are the metaverse? What's the metaverse? What does it mean? His book does a really good job of kind of sharpening that concept. I would recommend it. Uh, I think it's coming out next month. While you're waiting for the book, I, I want to jump on that Matthew Ball bandwagon. He's fantastic. So he also has a website that explains in great detail 
everything about the metaverse. Um, highly, if you're interested, I highly recommend going through it. And he's actually one of the expert um, experts that McKinsey worked with when creating this report. So he's he's very tuned into this. Um, I think for McKinsey, super excited. I mean, the issue I had with the McKinsey report, and again, I think Matthew Ball is great. Everything was based, not everything, but a lot of how they put together this report, which gives a huge sense of excitement about investors and where what's coming. It was based mostly off of a survey and interviews. So they did a, sur it was a survey of like 3,400 consumers. Most of them, like they, I think what they used for respondents was they were looking for people that had, had been involved in at least one metaverse platform. And then the, the pl metaverse platform they list are things like mostly games. So have you, do you, are you familiar with or have you used Roblox or Pokemon Go? So I, I'm, I'm a little, I, I read it um, and I was, I read the 77 page report and it was just, it was, it was hard to take this as this is actually, this is actually a, 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 what people are going to be spending their money on because it's just based on everything is so vague. When you ask a survey question to these people about what the metaverse is, everyone's going to have a very different picture of what that means. So one, one group is super excited about connectivity as an example, and that's, that's kind of, they're saying, Oh, it's driving consumer excitement. But if you ask someone, Hey, are you excited about, you know, connecting with connecting with people that that's going to mean a million different things to a million different people. And everyone's going to have their own story of filling in of what that is. And if you're using that as, as one of the reasons of, of, of how this is drive, I think they use the term, um, it was demographic tailwinds, and this is why people are getting excited. I just think that seems a bit fluffy uh, to use that as a measure of whether or not this is a good it's a good investment right now. Thankfully, they did go back and kind of address some of the drawbacks, which I mean, maybe I'm too pessimistic, but everything they they people want in this and what they see in this metaverse, which is like a sense of immersion, real-time interactivity, user agency. I mean, all of that, realistically, we just don't have the tech for it now. I mean, networks are too slow. Computers are too weak. We just, we don't have it. And, and I think what I'm glad they did mention is that those people that these investors that they're talking about is, is driving the excitement. They're, what I was actually surprised is that the investors are not necessarily worried about the missing tech, which is fine by them. They're actually worried about their, their biggest concern was the uncertain return on investment, which I think goes back to probably the missing tech. People tend to focus this on what the content is. With, with everyone's excited about making content for the metaverse, but there's no platform. <laughs> like it just it, none of it exists yet. Um, one other thing from the the report, I mean, what they're saying is that the metaverse has potential to grow to five trillion in in about ten years from now. And sure, maybe it does. But um, the only thing I would say is that they undervalue that the advertising. I think if the metaverse does come out in kind of the ready player one sense that I have of it, I think advertising is probably going to be one of the biggest, the absolute biggest uh, economic contributors for where that all that revenue is going to be coming from. So, yeah, I, I, I mean, when, when I looked at it, like they were talking about 2.6 of the 5 trillion by 2030, dude, which is eight years from now, just, just saying, right is going to be um, e-commerce, right? And call me a boomer, but like, exactly. <laughs> Why is e-commerce gonna automatically transfer to the metaverse when we have Amazon, right? All right, sorry. I mean, I, I just don't, I don't, I, 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 yeah. I mean, how much of adoption is required to get people tran transacting in that, that way? In eight years, you know, maybe 20 years, 
I don't know. I don't know. I, I, I don't really see that. Gaming is actually a relatively small part of this overall thing. It's only 125 billion, which is insane. Even that's insane. So I don't know. It just seems like pie in the sky bullshit, right? That, you know, throwing reports out there, but you know, we'll see. If we have time for the last one, I would say we just cut it. Yeah, let's just cut it. Thanks everyone for listening. Hope you have a great week ahead and we'll catch up with you next week.